Before we get stuck into the passage, I'm going to pray uh, for God's help uh, to help us understand, not just understand the passage, but also be changed by it too. So let's, uh, let's pray together. Our dear Father God, we want to begin by thanking you that you do speak to us. Uh, you love to speak to us as your uh, word is opened and we can hear your voice uh, as, with your spirit uh, illuminating it for us. And Father, we pray for your help then as we come before you now. Please uh, help me speak faithfully and help all of us here uh, be spoken to by you and changed by you more and more into your son's likeness. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one of the things that I love in films, uh, I love watching films, and one of the things I love in films is there's often a moment where the heroes of the film, they're on the run, they're trying to escape, they need a rescue, and they're running and running, or they're driving, whatever, they're trying to escape, and they think they get to a safe place. They think they've escaped, only to discover that the place they had thought was safe is actually a, a, a disastrous place, out of the frying pan, into the fire. I'm sure you can think of films like that. One of my favorite examples is in uh, the, what, the Star Wars film, where uh, they're, they're fleeing uh, in the Millennium Falcon, they're fleeing the Imperial uh, spaceships, and they're, they're ducking and diving to all the meteors, uh, and it's not going well. They need a rescue. Uh, and so, um, in, a, in a very cunning maneuver, Han Solo takes the Millennium Falcon up and down and into a tunnel, uh, and they think it's safe. Uh, they think it's safe. But of course, uh, the tunnel, it might have started as a tunnel, but where they've flown is into the throat of some giant space serpent. Uh, and the rescue they thought they had is actually far from safe. And the reason why we uh, start thinking about rescues and rescues that are safe or not is because, I, as I think Kathy prayed so helpfully, uh, everyone faces troubles, don't they, from time to time. If you're not facing troubles of some sort tonight, there will come a time when you will. And when troubles come, we need a rescue. And our passage tonight is going to help us find a rescue that is always safe. That is always a safe place that never, ever lets us down. And if you're a Christian here tonight, I guess a, a question that you might want to think about is, are you sinking or swimming right now? Uh, are you sinking or swimming? Are you in trouble? Uh, and uh, how are you coping with it? This passage speaks to people who feel like they're in trouble. And troubles come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, don't they? Uh, there are the sort of troubles that we experience from just living in a broken world. Uh, they could be uh, relationships that are broken. Uh, they can be battles with illness. All kinds of things that people are battling just because stuff in life goes wrong. And there are other troubles that some of us might be facing that are troubles that come specifically from being a Christian. Uh, I was talking to a, a lady at our church a few weeks ago, and she's at, she works for the council, and her boss knows she, uh, she's a Christian, her colleagues know she's a Christian, uh, and she believes what the Bible says about everything. And she's come under enormous, hostile pressure from her boss and her colleagues because she won't give up on it. Uh, she won't get all kinds of trouble that we're facing. And if that's not you tonight, if you're blessed to be in a position and in a time and place where you're not feeling like there's all kinds of troubles going on, then that's something to give thanks for. But tonight is still for you. Tonight is still for you because we all need to be prepared before the troubles come. Uh, before the troubles come. I think it's very easy to get into a way of thinking sometimes that God is good because my life is good. And then when life is less good... And troubles come, 
Well, that's a real challenge then, isn't it, to what I think God is like. No, we need to be prepared by God before the troubles come. And you might be here tonight and thinking, well, I'm not a Christian. None of this applies to me. Uh, and I think the, the, the passage's question for you tonight is, well, when troubles do come, how do you cope? When you feel like the waters are rising and you feel like you're sinking, what's the coping strategy? Do you look to yourself to fix it, maybe buy your way out of trouble, or uh, just distract yourself from the troubles that come? Uh, Do you look to other people, friendships, family, to get you out of trouble? Uh, What's your rescue, Uh, and will it always work? Those are the questions we're going to have as we um, go through our passage. If you do have a Bible, do keep it open. We're going to be sticking with Psalm uh, 61 as we go through, and what we're going to see is that for those in trouble, uh, we need to reach for God's rescue. That's kind of verses 1 to 4. Uh, we need to reach for God's rescue. And it's interesting that uh, our psalm tonight is written by, you can see it in your title there, it's written by David, King David. Uh, this is a prayer from someone who's in deep trouble. He's a king. Even kings get in trouble. And if kings can get in trouble, people like you and me can get into trouble too. And you get that sense that this is a really insistent cry. Hear my cry, God. Listen to my prayer. Uh, It says, look, from the ends of the earth, I call you. Now, I don't know whether David was literally somewhere far, far away, somewhere remote and distant, or whether because of just the troubles he was experiencing, it felt like that. I don't know if you've ever experienced great trouble But it can feel very lonely, can't it? It can feel very isolating. It can feel like you're at the ends of the earth. He described himself as being faint-hearted. My heart is faint. I'm at the end of my tether, close to death. This situation I'm in now is too big to handle. And what does David do when when the situation gets like that? Reaches for God for rescue. He cries out, hear my cry, O God. And that's what true sons and daughters of God do when when trouble comes. They cry out to their heavenly father. They they cry out and say, this is too big for me, God. I need you. I need your help. Uh, And and he prays like he he prays like he's expecting a response, like God to do something. It's interesting. One of the things that our culture is very big on these days, isn't it, is uh, you need to grow up. You need to uh, become independent. Uh, and you see it in kids. Uh, you know, kids come along and very soon they're saying, no, I can do it myself. Uh, I don't want your help. I can do it myself. I'm, I'm, I'm big. I'm grown up now. And it's uh, one of the themes that's picked up in uh, C.S. Lewis's book, uh, The Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe. One of the saddest most heartbreaking moments of that whole series of books comes in the last book, the last battle. Uh, when everyone's there, uh, kind of gathered, uh, it's the end of things uh, for some of them. Uh, and we find out from Peter, one of the four children in the original book, that Susan, his sister, isn't there. He says uh, she's no longer a friend of Narnia. And uh, one writer notes it's because she grew up the wrong way. Uh, you see, all the way through the series, Susan is described as someone who is old for her age. In Iron the Witch in the Wardrobe, uh, Edmund, her brother, says, don't go talking like that. Like what, says Susan. And anyway, it's time you were in bed. Trying to talk like mother, says Edmund. And you see the same of Prince Caspian. Where did you think you saw him, asked Susan. Don't talk like a grown-up, said Lucy, stamping her foot. And in that final book, 
Jill says, oh, Susan, she's interested in nothing nowadays except nylons and lipstick and invitations. She always was a jolly sight too keen to be grown up. Uh, and when we're in trouble, we should never be grown up. We should always be people who cry out to help, to stay, to remain with a childlike dependence on God for rescue. Uh, we don't want to grow up and grow out of reaching for God's rescue. And the imagery changes, doesn't it? It gets onto this idea of, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I love this imagery. If you were um, running away from bandits in the desert, where do you want to be? You want to be on this, this rock that is out of reach, uh, kept safe from your pursuing foes. That's the place to be. It's like when the, the waters are rising, you need to be placed out of reach. We reach for God's rescue, uh, literally beyond God's reach. Uh, beyond, beyond the enemy's reach. And there's an interesting thing, isn't it, about the rock that's higher than I? Uh, it's higher than I, which is good, because it puts me out of reach of the enemy. But it's also bad, because I can't reach it. I need someone's help to, to put me there. Uh, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, in verse 2. Verse 3, you've been my strong tower. This is a picture of St. Mary's Isle. Well, it's actually the picture of the Tower of Refuge on St. Mary's Isle. This is um, in the harbour of Douglas in the Isle of Man. And back in 1830, the packet steamer St. George got trapped in a, a big storm in the, in the harbour mouth. And it ran aground uh, just here. And uh, they sent out uh, a lifeboat crew. And all night they battled to rescue 22 in the lifeboat crew, 18 on, on the ship. They, they battled all night to bring them safely back. And afterwards, they, they did it. It was an amazing uh, rescue story. Afterwards, one of the lifeboat crew, a man called uh, Sir William Hillary, decided to build a tower on the isle. For anyone who got shipwrecked, they could get to the tower... He stocked it with provisions uh, and, uh, and water, and they could see out the storm there. Can you imagine what it would be like to be hurled onto this rock with the waves crashing all around you and to make your way into uh, the tower there? It's still standing. Uh, there it is now. It's the Tower of Refuge. It inspired Wordsworth to write these words. Blessed work it is of love and innocence, a tower of refuge built for the else forlorn. Spare it to ye waves and lift the mariner struggling for life into its saving arms. That's the picture we have here of the sort of rescue that David is reaching for, the sort of rescue that God provides. Uh, and it's, it, did you notice in that verse, there's a little change in tense in verse 3, for you have been my refuge. Because David's been rescued in the past, he's got confidence to pray the pray does in verses 1 and 2. You've done it before, I trust you to do it again. And it's just, I, I don't know how, how often you do this, how often you use pause and you reflect on the things, on the ways that God has, has carried you through trouble before. Uh, but those experiences are things that give us confidence that he'll do it again. And it, we don't just benefit from it happening to us, do we? Um, if you read any uh, Christian biography, uh, you'll, ben you'll benefit from other Christians who have been rescued by God and kept going by his grace. Uh, 
I guess is one of the things that can be the benefits of home groups uh, or small groups, whatever you have here, is that there's a chance, isn't there, for people with different life experiences to come and share and say, oh, I've been in such trouble, such trouble. But this is how God has sustained me. So that when I come to face something similar, I'm encouraged by what God has already done in your life. I suspect that challenges a little bit some of our uh, British English uh, sense of uh, privacy. Uh, there's maybe a challenge here that we need to be more open, more willing to share about the things that God is doing in each one of our lives and what he's done in the past. Uh, reach for God's rescue. And the plea takes on a much more personal form in verse 4. Do you see that? Uh, verse 4, let me dwell in your tent forever. Uh, let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. It changes, doesn't it, from places, rocky outcrops, towers that defend you against the foe, to, no, let me be with you, God. In reaching for your rescue, I want to be with you, because you are where safety is. I want to dwell in your tent. Uh, the, the imagery is of a, a mother hen uh, shielding the chicks with her wing. Uh, that's the sort of rescue that David is reaching for here. Uh, and I don't know if you noticed, as we read, the requests for help come thick and fast, like this. Uh, hear my cry, listen to my prayer, lead me, let me, let me, like dum dum dum. That's what prayers for help are like. Prayers for help don't have to be wordy or fancy or really theological or really eloquent. They're just simple prayers for help. Uh, I lo- love Winnie the Pooh. Uh, people have been reading Winnie the Pooh to their kids and grandkids now for decades. Nearly a hundred years, maybe? Uh, and this is the story, this is the story of when, uh, Piglet is entirely surrounded by water. Uh, and this is what, uh, A.A. Milne says in, um, in his story. This, these are the words he puts in Piglet's mouth. It's a little anxious, Piglet said to himself, to be a very small animal entirely surrounded by water. Here I am, surrounded by water, and I can't do anything. This piglet's quite shrill. Um, and he writes a note. What does he do? He can't rescue himself, so he, he writes a note. Piglet's not very good at writing, so what does he do? On one side, he writes, help, piglet, brackets me, turns it over. On the other side, it's me, piglet, help, help. That's what a cry for help's like. It's simple. It's urgent. Uh, it's the sort of prayer that David has here. It's the sort of prayer that any one of us can have. Uh, we can pray every day for God's help. Uh, and as I was thinking about this, it struck me that um, there are at least six things that we can pray simply when we're asking God for help. Firstly that, just pray for help. When you're facing trouble, you don't always know what you need or, or how it's going to come. Just pray, for God, I need your help today. Uh, we can pray for God's strength, for his, him strengthening us. God, I don't think I'm going to make it today unless you, you strengthen me. Please give me strength. There's a second thing uh, we can pray for. Pray for strength to see the day through. Uh, I think we can pray for a sense of his presence. That's the third thing. Third thing. We can pray that God, we would know a sense of God being with us, palpably sustaining us by his spirit. We can pray for a sense of peace, uh, that God has us safe. Uh, in all the troubles that we're facing. Uh, fifthly, uh, we can pray for confidence. Uh, confidence that God will bring us through safely to the other side. Uh, and lastly, I think we can pray that God would use 
whatever we're experiencing, that he would use the troubles for our good. That's the promise that we have, isn't it, in the New Testament, that amazingly, although troubles come for all people, for a Christian, God can take that trouble and somehow he can use it to bring good out of it. He can do good to the person in the suffering. He can do good through the person suffering to other people. Uh, we can pray for God to use it. Here's some verses from the New Testament that encourage us. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. And interesting, I think one of the, the things that God does for the good of those who love him uh, in troubles is he just halts them in their tracks sometimes and says, I'm here for you. I'm sufficient for you. Uh, I've got you. You can trust me. It's a way of reminding us to trust him. Someone once wrote, don't act as if troubles are absent. Act as if Christ is present. It's interesting. In the Bible, God doesn't seem to promise to take trouble away. But he does promise uh, to be with us in it. Uh, we can pray for his help in it. Corey Ten Boone said, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Uh, Christians, friends, we can cry out to God for help when trouble comes. We can reach for the rescue that he provides because we've got confidence because he's done it in the past. Uh, and if you're uh, here this evening and you're not a Christian, then I want to come back to that question we, we started thinking about at the start, which is when troubles come, does the rescue you reach for, is it going to work? Is it going to work for every situation? Will you always be able to buy your way out of the trouble that comes in life? Will the relationships that you have always uh, whisk you away from the troubles that you're facing? The Bible's warning is that if we put all our hopes, all our expectations, all our eggs in one basket on, on one thing to get us out of trouble, one rescue, then whatever that one thing is, it will collapse under the weight of the expectations we put on it. Uh, there is nothing on this earth that can rescue us from all the troubles that we face. Whereas the, the wonderful promise of our, our verses tonight is that God's rescue always works. Uh, God is always present with his people in times of trouble. And you see that in verses 5 to 7. It's the second half of the, the, the things we're looking at tonight. Is that whilst when we face trouble, we're to reach for God's rescue... Having done that, we need to let God's rescue reach us. I love uh, what happens in uh, verse uh, 5. Verse 1, God, hear my cry. Hear my cry. It's a plea, isn't it? Verse 1. Verse 5, for you have heard my vows. Uh, it's a prayer said knowing that God has already heard the prayer. And verse 5 talks about the, the I think the word in, in our version is a heritage. Uh, another word might be an inheritance. For all those who cry out to God in trust, in dependence, the word, again, the phrase is who fear him. God promises an inheritance, a heritage. This idea, the idea of a, a, a heritage or inheritance is, it's like a safe place. It's a place where you can be, where you're protected from the enemy, and you're provided for everything with everything that you need. Uh, that's what's true uh, for those who trust God, who, who reach out for his rescue and let him rescue them. 
And I think, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, if you're in times of trouble, sometimes it's easy to feel, I think, my faith isn't strong enough. My, it's too much for me. My faith isn't strong enough to sustain me today. I'm not going to make it. You look at other people who've gone through troubles and you say, I could never have the strength of faith that they have that's seen them through. Uh, but someone once wrote, it's not the strength of your faith that matters, but the strength of the one in whom you place your faith. Our safety, our rescue isn't dependent on our strength or our effort, but on God's strength and commitment to us. Uh, this scene has been happening repeatedly for decades now. I don't know how long Superman has been rescuing Lois, but it must be 50, 60 years. I don't know if anyone wants to advance on that. I don't know when the cartoon started, but this has been happening for ages, from last year to um, 70s. Um, It's been going on forever. Now, what does the rescue depend on? It does not depend on Lois's strength to hang on to Superman. That's not how it works. Uh, She needs rescuing in these situations because she can't rescue herself. Her rescue depends on the strength of Superman uh, and his ability to hold on to her. Uh, He has to let him rescue her in in these cases. We need to let God's rescue reach us. Our rescue is dependent on his strength, not our own. And then what we get to this slightly, um, I think this is a slightly strange moment in the psalm. Uh, we've, we've been praying for a rescue. David's been praying for this rescue. And then he pivots from praying for rescue to these verses in 6 and 7. I'll read them out again just to remind you uh, what's going on. He prays, increase the days of the king's life. His years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. Like, David, what's the connection? Why have we just gone from praying for a rescue to praying for the life of God's king? Why are these two in the same psalm? Surely you should have stopped and started a new thing. This just seems like a new, new theme. Are you praying for yourself in the third person? It's kind of weird. Uh, or is this someone else you're praying for? And I think it's helpful to remember at that point that, remember, these psalms are written so that they can be sung by the Israelites. They're sung, uh, they're written so that people after they were written can sing them themselves. So why pray for the life of the king when you're looking for a rescue? What's the connection? Uh, Well, it's because back in those days, a good king, a good king meant you were safe. A bad king meant you were in trouble. So if you wanted a rescue from God, you wanted God to provide you a king that would look after you. Because what the king did well would go well for you. Uh, Whatever was true of him, would sort of become true of you too. That's how it worked back in Israel. And that's weird. And he said, no, it's not weird. It's not weird. We're used to this kind of idea all the time. Um, uh, people been on holiday this year so far? Some people? Anyone been abroad? Yeah, some nods, some hands, yeah. Uh, anyone fly anywhere? Yeah, okay, good. Some of you did. Um, uh, when you fly somewhere, uh, you don't say, do you, uh, the pilot flew us from Birmingham to Madrid. It's not how we phrase it, is it? Uh, we say, we, we flew from Birmingham to Madrid. It's just like, that's what we all did. Now, that doesn't mean that I had any part in messing with the throttle or the ailerons or anything like that. No, the pilot did the flying, but because he did the flying and I was in the plane, I went too. Uh, that's how it works. And I, but we say, we, we flew. And the same is true here. What's true of the king is true of those 
in the in the kingdom. See, uh, that's what's going on. So praying for the life of the king uh, is key in terms of praying for a rescue. Uh, if God's going to provide safety, He needs to provide this king that will that all these things will be true of. But how can this be true of any earthly king? Let, look at them again. How can one king's life uh, increase uh, for many generations? Uh, how can one king be enthroned in God's presence forever, such that God's love and faithfulness are surrounding him kind of eternally? How, who? And you, the, the realization dawns, doesn't it? Uh, that this psalm is one of those great psalms that is looking forward to for a fulfillment. It will never be fulfilled in the time of the Israelites. It will only be fulfilled when Jesus himself comes. And what's lovely is when we meet Jesus himself, uh, God's son in the New Testament, we see Jesus start to take all these pictures that we've been looking at tonight and apply them to himself. So in Luke, he talks about himself being like a mother hen, uh, providing shelter for people. He's described in 1 Corinthians 10 as the rock that provides a rescue. And when you start to realize that the king that's needed here to bring a rescue to the people, you realize that we need not just for God's rescue to reach us, we need to let God's king rescue us. That's what we really need. And it makes us look again at the imagery in verse 4. Do you see that in verse 4? I'll read it again. I long to dwell in your tent forever. And today to take refuge in the shelter of your wings. You see, what's the tent about in the Old Testament? Another word for tent, or this, another vision of what the tent is, is this place, uh, the tabernacle, the place where God dwelt with His people, where they could get as close as possible to being face to face with God. What's the New Testament equivalent of the te- of the tabernacle, the temple? What does Jesus call Himself? In John 12, on the new temple. Gee, the, 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 the thing we're looking for here is for a king, and it's not just any king, it's Jesus, who can bring people face to face with God. And how does he do it? Well, it's by letting people shelter under his wings. And when verse 4 talks about taking shelter under wings, I think it's referring to this imagery. This is a picture of what the Ark of the Covenant would have looked like. And you see there are wings on the top of the cherubim. Well, on that spot right there, the high priest once a year would, would go and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice that was made. Uh, the sacrifice that symbolically took all the punishment from God uh, that the people deserved for, for messing up, for ignoring God, for not meeting his standards, for not meeting their own standards and how they treated other people. Uh, he'd sprinkle the blood on there. Uh, to make atonement, to say everything you've done wrong is paid for and you can come back to God face to face. Jesus says you need to take shelter under his wings. It's his sacrifice ultimately that pays the price. And as we think that this is a king, not just any king, but is Jesus, then we realize that the trouble that everyone most needs rescue from isn't the things we started off by thinking, although it's that too. It's not the, the everyday things, the stuff which is just out of our league. The trouble we all need a rescue from, ultimately, is from God himself. And Jesus goes there, and he's the one abandoned to trouble on the cross. On the cross he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God's not, doesn't seem to be listening to Jesus there like he listens to David 
here. And he takes the penalty on himself for our sin, for the way we've stuck two fingers up to him and done our own thing. And again, if you're not a Christian here tonight, then that's the big one. That's the one that we we really need a rescue from. And nothing like money or relation. There's, there's no, there's nothing on earth that can provide a rescue from that trouble. Uh, and friends, for us, the rescue starts there, doesn't it? But it doesn't end there. It's rescue now, uh, so that we can be face to face with God again. But it's rescue now, which we start to enjoy, and we will enjoy for eternity future in the presence of God, protected from our foes, protected from all the troubles. And with abundant provision. Uh, That's the king that comes. Jesus is both the place and the person who provides protection for all those who reach out to him. We need to reach out to God's rescue and let his king rescue us. Uh, This is a picture. If you've done any walking, you'll you'll be familiar with what this is. Uh, This is uh, a boffy. And... So I keep looking there because that's where I can see it. Uh, there, this is a bothy. Um, and uh, if you've gone walking the Lake District, particularly in Scotland, you'll have come across these where they're made so that if you're out in the hills and the weather comes in and it starts lashing it down with rain and the fog comes in so you can't see the hand in front of your face, the temperature drops, the ice is everywhere. What can you do? You can find one of these bothies. The door is always open. Uh, and you can find shelter, you can find safety. It's, it's basic in there, but it'll keep you safe till the storm passes. It's just a great picture of what Jesus is like for us. Uh, the door is always open. We just have to reach out for God's rescue uh, and let Jesus, God's King, rescue us. Free from free forever from trouble. And look where our psalm finishes in verse 8. If you are someone who has reached out for God's rescue and let Jesus, God's King, rescue you, then the natural place to end up is verse 8. It's worship. When you've been rescued from the penalty of death and the consequences of sin and shame and guilt, and that's all been nailed to the cross, and you've been given new life in Jesus, the natural place to end is worship. David ends there and he doesn't even know half of that stuff yet. But it ends verse 8. Then I will sing your, uh, in praise of your name and fulfill my day, uh, my vows day after day. I'll praise you. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do that sort of public adoration of you. But that's not all, is it? I'll fulfill my vows to you, uh, daily. I'll, I'll, I'll obey you. I'll live for you, um, in response to the rescue I've received. And I think one of the hardest things to get our heads around, uh, as we close tonight is, how can I be someone who worships when I'm in the depths of troubles? How can those both sit with me at the very same time? And one of the wonderful things we see uh, about the Christian life, about those who have been rescued by God's King, is that they can know times of pain, but at the same time know the joy of belonging to Jesus. We can be in deep, deep trouble, and yet... Because we know God's rescue, at the same time, in pain, find worship somehow through God's rescue. This is um, perhaps one of the best examples I know of this. This is uh, Helen Rosevere. Um, She died only a couple of years ago, as you can see. She was a missionary uh, to the Congo. 
1964, she was caught up in the civil war there. Uh, and um, and captured by, by some of the forces there. And this is what this is what she writes. Uh, they found me, dragged me to my feet, struck me over my head and shoulders, flung me on the ground, kicked me, dragged me to my feet, only to strike me again. The sickening, searing pain of a broken tooth, a mouth full of sticky blood, my glasses gone beyond sense, numb with terror. An unknown fear, driven, dragged, pushed back to my house, yelled at, insulted, cursed. Through the brutal, heartbreaking experience, God met with me. With outstretched arms of love, it was an unbelievable experience. He was so utterly there, so totally understanding. His comfort was so complete. And suddenly I knew, I really knew, that his love was utterly sufficient. He did love me. He did understand. In the weeks of imprisonment that followed, and in the subsequent years of continued service, looking back, one has tried to count the cost. But I find it all swallowed up in privilege. The cost suddenly seems very small and transient in the greatness and permanence of the privilege. That's the rescue that God provides all those who reach for him. That's the rescue that God's King Jesus brings. And you notice what uh, Helen said there in her quote. It's a permanent privilege. It's never removed from those who trust God and fear God. And because of that, we can always find a place to praise even when it's hurting. Uh, I'll close with some words from uh, George Herbert. Surely thy sweet and wondrous love shall measure all my days. And as it never shall remove, so neither shall my praise. Amen.